The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 144. I'm Matt Hot, a school-based SLP and also a speech and language pathologist working with home health and dementia and stroke rehab, joined by Michael McLeod, specializing in executive functioning SLP work. What's up, buddy? And our pediatric SLP extraordinaire, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Y'all, is it as hot in your area as it is in Michelle's? Michelle, you were saying, what is it, 95 degrees right now? Yes, today it was 95 Damn. degrees. There we go. It was 75 today. I'm sweating yep. just it was, here on the today was a, Today was a nice day. <laughs> We've got the brood I, I don't think I went outside today, but I heard it was nice. <laughs> Oh, on today's episode, y'all, I'm excited. Well, maybe not excited. I'm, I'm interested to dive into this. Uh, one of our topics, we're going to talk about why our caseloads may be going up exponentially in a year uh, if you're working in the school-based side. And on the other side, uh, burnout and what might be causing it and how do we fix burnout in the medical-related field. I'm not sure how those two are related at all, but I'm sure we will dive into that. We've Just also a touch of sarcasm there, guys. <laughs> We've got a little bit of our due process today. We've also got our uh, SS pod shout out. But before all that, we want to hear from you. So head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And you can email, email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Give us a phone call or a text, 614-681-1798. Or hang out on the Discord, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. And also until the end of June, we are asking for y'all to log on, rate and review us wherever you do it, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever it's at, Amazon Music, uh, and then screen grab that and send it to us. And we will pick two winners at the end of June, uh, one for a Target gift card and the other to receive some speech science swag uh, for you rating and reviewing us. So I'm excited to get into this, but before we do that, in honor of tonight's uh, humdrum discussion of caseloads and burnout. I want to ask you guys or y'all, what is the most amount of students or patients you have had on your caseload at one time? Hmm. That's a good when one. I was in a school, <laughs> whenever, whenever. Ugh. I would I say close to 65, 70. Do you remember yeah, how long ago really... that was? That was during my CF year, Ooh. Uh, which was 20, I don't even know. Wow. 
2016. Okay. Michelle? Yeah, around 70. I had, when I started at my last school district, the year that I quit, so this was about three years ago, I started off the year with 98 direct students and 14 or so indirect students plus Mm -hmm. 18 adult patients. And doesn't Ohio have a cap? Isn't they, they one of do. The that, but you're allowed to get a waiver for it, right? So here's the fun thing in Ohio. <laughs> and if you are one of my Ohio peeps, this is where it sucks. Um, Not in Ohio, every state has a cap. We have, a, we have two things that we have to do. We have to have a weighted workload or a weighted caseload, and we have to follow the workload model. So okay. in Ohio... Just find that just so people yeah. listening know what the weighted... In, in, in Ohio, so they say that we have to follow a workload model or we have to look at workload. They don't care how you look at the workload, but they say that we have to look at workload, which means that we have to balance everything we do. So duties, breaks, everything. We just have to look at it. Like there's a the bunch Asha of calendars. Calculator, right? Yeah, there's calculators. Ohio's got a few. Um, I'm actually going to be giving uh, part of a roundtable discussion on Ohio and their workload calculators for ASHA coming up in a couple weeks. But um, so yeah, Ohio doesn't care which calculator you use. You just have to say that you've worked, looked at a workload process. Excuse me. On the other side, we have a weighted caseload, which means that certain disability categories are weighted for more worth than the others. So for example, a quote unquote, typical articulation kid is worth one. But uh, other health impairment um, or autism or emotionally, I believe it's called emotionally delayed now in the newest edition of Ohio rules, those are rated at, I believe, 1.8. So what in preschoolers are at 1.8. So what that means is that you could have 50 preschoolers or 80 articulation kids on your caseload or some percentage in between. So you can figure the math out by the weighted caseload. And here's the fun part. Mike, if you break workload caseload rules, what happens in Ohio? What do you think? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all? Nothing at all. So here's what happens. Mike, you're the SLP in Cincinnati or uh, Ohio local school district 104. I don't know, whatever that is. And I don't think that is one, just so you know. And let's say they give you 120 kids and you call the Department of Education and they say, Mike, what school district do you work in? And you say, Ohio 104, please help me. And then they call the superintendent of Ohio 104 and they go, hey, Mike McLeod, your SLP in Ohio 104 called us and says, you have 120 kids, what are you doing? And the superintendent says, I can't afford a new SLP. No one wants to work for us. We can't find a candidate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, ODE says, oh, shucks. Would you like to sign a waiver? And they go, we would. And Ohio says, okay, here's your waiver. Mike, you can see 120 kids this year, but next year, don't let Mike see 120 kids. Mm. And then the superintendent calls you and says, hey, Mike, why'd you call Ohio Department of Education? Do you have a continuing contract yet? Do you want one? Probably not. And the end. Mm. This is not based on a real story at all. Yeah, that was that sounded like it was very much based on. It was fiction, completely fiction. I never got fired for reporting us to ODE because you're not allowed to report it anonymously. 
Wow. <laughs> well, it, it's true though with um with yes. any even like code of ethics violations with ASHA as well, um or other reports that uh, we don't do them anonymously. Mm-hmm. Which I I do understand why they don't want someone who's like a you know mad at a former boss or something to agreed. Uh, but it gets hard though. I mean, you can't. But it do, it does make it difficult, especially when they call your superintendent. Mm-hmm. You know, or and I always can impact your current income, et cetera. Yeah. When yeah. I would talk to SLPs, I'd be like, listen, I mean, if this is the hill you want to die on and you don't think you can get change in your district, know that you're probably not going to want to be employed at a place that you're about to blow mm-hmm. a whistle on that they're going to know you did it. Like, mm. it's just a hard spot to put SLPs mm-hmm. in. So why do y'all think we're going to talk about caseloads and burnout? <laughs> uh, anywho's on a positive, I got an SS pod shout out this week for y'all. What's that? All right. So the SS pod shout out, Mike, that is where we honor someone doing something awesome related to the field of speech and language therapy. This week, I want to give a, it's a shout out to uh, Hollywood and uh, a Hollywood star. It's a uh, Fran, uh, I'm sorry, what's her name? Melissa Simmons. She is the Quiet Place franchise star. Uh, she worked with an SLP in developing a an SLP uh, CF to design a face mask with a transparent panel. And she took it to the fair trade fashion brand Ravi Nova, uh, who are then sending all the net proceeds to the deaf and hard of hearing organizations that uh, Melissa Simmons works with. That's so. awesome. I also love that I haven't even seen the quiet place. <gasps> I know the what I, I haven't yet. I know the whole story, don't worry. But oh, okay. um, you're not gonna spoil it for me. But um I do think it's really cool. And we may have touched on this before in another episode that uh John Krasinski and Emily Blunt intentionally found a deaf actor to play mm-hmm. that role because just like any other mm-hmm. description of an actor, too often it's portrayed by someone who isn't actually that race or Mm -hmm. disability ability or um, gender, anything else. So um, I think it's, I think that was really cool. (laughs) So Melissa Simmons, our little SS pod shout out. Mike, have you seen A Quiet Place yet? I I, I saw the first one, not the second one. I need to see the second one. The first one I went in with cough syrup because I was really like hacking up a hairball and I only had NyQuil. So I took some NyQuil before I went to see A Quiet Place, and uh, that first 10 minutes when there is no talking and very little sound, uh, I might have snored a bit before waking myself up and then rejoining waking the population watch. during the rest of the movie. <laughs> are you are you uh, back to going to movie theaters? I have not yet. I don't want to. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. I definitely want to go. Black Widow comes out. Yep. I saw I saw a video earlier where uh, it was a husband and wife, and the husband, the wife was vaccinated, the husband was not, and the the husband like had a bad cold, started showing COVID system symptoms, and they went on a long car ride together, windows up, everything like five six hours. Husband tested positive, wife tested neg- negative because she got vaccinated. Yep, pretty sweet. These vaccines are legit, man. I I I, I want to go back to the theater so much. I really yeah, do. dude, I love I love going to. You the had movies. your um not subscription, but yeah. like a membership. Yeah, I remember that. 
A-list. Yeah. I'm an A-list, A-list member at AMC Theaters. Every week or something. Three movies a week. And it's what? on it's on suspension right now. Or I suspended it because I don't want to spend it. So Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's hard because like I like going to the movies. I'm not worried about going by myself, but it's I don't want to take my kids yet. I'm not comfortable yet. Yeah, that. you have you have little ones that can't be vaccinated. We we've done yeah, yeah. we've done the uh, like rent a movie theater out, but so we did that with some friends yeah. here, which was really neat. So we yes. knew it was a, a you know a select group of people, mm-hmm. and we got to watch the movie with just all of us. But it's still kind of scary. I'm not gonna lie. There's it a, is like it weird is. fear. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. So if if it was an outdoor theater, that'd be sweet. A drive-in movies. Those need to come back in, theater. man. <laughs> there you go. Oh, uh, on the That's flip thing. side, <laughs> the flip side of our SS Pod shout-out is the SS Pod due process. This one comes from via Discord, uh, and I'm not going to read her screen name on here. But uh, they ask, "How do we get a good CFY or externship placement? How do you know what you're looking for when you don't know what you're looking for?" That is a great question. Mm-hmm. I figured and that was I... a nice, fun due process. That's not mean to anybody. See, this is what due <laughs> process is for. Sometimes we take someone to task, and sometimes it's an innocent, honest question. So well, how do I we know what we're looking there's... for externships or CFY positions? Well, I think it's also I think it gets a little less fun when you look at the reality of it. <laughs> when these ideal CFYs, I think they're a little few and far between. I think, you know, we just talked about caseload numbers. So we're talking about huge caseload numbers plus constantly supervising a CF. So it's not that easy to find an SLP that has the time to provide the ideal supervision that you probably received in grad school or hopefully received in grad school. So from my experience, especially being in a metropolitan area, uh, that those types of CFYs are few and far between. But the question is how to find them. It's make sure that you are interviewing with your exact supervisor and the person who will be supervising you and ask them lots and lots and lots of questions. Because I remember when I was looking for a CFY, I was spending most of my time talking to headhunters and recruiters and not the actual SLP who is supposed to be supervising me. So stay far away from recruiters, stay, stay far away from headhunters and talk to actual SLPs. Now I'll add on that though. That's a challenge because sure is. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to, I even had a great CFY experience because I was hired into a school and the woman who was retiring out of my position, the school paid for her to supervise me that as my, as my CF uh, for my CFY year. So she was a resource that I could always count on. Now, most people don't have that opportunity, right? True. Um, to basically pick the brain of the person who had their job before them. Now, I like the idea of interviewing someone and asking who's going to be your exact supervisor, but there's going to be clinics and hospitals and schools who don't even know that yet. They might be saying, yes, we're talking to this person. We're talking to this person. This person's moving to this school. This person's moving to this clinic. So depending the setting you're trying to seek out, um, it may not be an option, but I do think Mike is definitely right with saying, ask more questions. Don't just take, oh yeah, we have a supervisor for you. Ask some more questions. If it's possible to talk to that person, then please do. But if it's not, you can still ask the, you know, the site supervisor, the 
your boss, the therapy director, whoever it is that you're the special education director and ask some more poignant questions about who your supervisor would be and what kind of involvement they'll have beyond the check the box for ASHA. I observed you this exact time to meet that requirement. Right. Um, some of the best situations you're going to get are where an SLP gets some extra pay. I hate to say that, but I mean, mm -hmm. we all have, our time is valuable and many mm -hmm. of us supervise CFYs at no, just out of hoping to grow our field, not out of any benefit financially or time-wise to us. Um, so take, take that into consideration because if they're, if the company or the school you're trying to get a CFY position with is saying, we offer this stipend. And so maybe we don't have an exact name of that person, but we provide this support for a CFY supervisor. So mentor, um, that would be my thought. Now on the externship note, it very much depends on your grad school. I don't know where you went to grad school or what they allow. Um, where Matt and I went, we were allowed to go wherever was, we wanted. It was the last quarter of grad school was just last two quarters were just mm -hmm. full-time externships. And I know some different programs work that differently. So you may be restricted to a local region. You may need to go somewhere. You can save some money and move in with a brother or mom and dad for a little while. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to take in. So you may be geographically tied. If you're not geographically tied, you can be a little more picky about the actual job for an externship. But um, if you're geographically tied, you may have to look at it like, ooh, I need a medical placement. I need a school placement because I need the school license. Um, so there's just more factors to take in. Do you remember how I got my externship, Michelle? Yeah, the, 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 um, the one that I interviewed for too? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, then, so uh... I got, so here's how I got my externship. Um, <laughs> my, so my wife calls it Matt Hot Luck. And mm -hmm. it is uh, that I somehow have managed to be the luckiest person in my life ever. So life. Um, I was like, oh, man, I got to figure out my externship. And Michelle goes, hey, buddy, I interviewed at a place and I really liked it. But I have a, another externship that matches up with something I want to do do you want it? And I was like, I do. Mm -hmm. So then I emailed them and they said, great, you're hired. <laughs> Come yep. meet us. <laughs> so, um, well, and that was a, ge th just my point earlier, right. that was a geographical decision yep. for me. Um, I, I wanted to get a hospital spot if I could, and it had one close to where I could live for that externship at my parents' house. And I knew where I had done the interview even though I really liked the place, was close to where Matt wanted to be geographically. Ken Hart at uh, Dayton Rehab Institute. Yep, shout out to Ken. <laughs> so uh, I uh, never interviewed anywhere else or applied anywhere else. Um, and the way I got my school jobs was I got accepted into Omni and they told me where I was going to work. So I got Which my Which is one of the dual programs mm -hmm. that sometimes grad schools offer in order to fill a need in like a Correct. school district. So uh, I fell into that. So I'm not good at telling anyone how to get a CFY or an externship decision, because if you do what I did, you just wait until your friends give it to you or the state tells you where to work. I mean, I, I left Ohio <laughs> and I went to, to, different than Matt though, I went to Nevada to do my school placement. Mm -hmm. and, and I did it just to go somewhere different. And I had a cousin I could live with 
and she worked for the school district. So she contacted some people and we set up an externship, but that was not any, I had a really great supervisor for that. And that was just because she was a good SLP who took me on. So shout out to Connie Forstrom. <laughs> but Mike, where did you do your externships? Yeah. Do you remember? My externships, uh, I did one at a private practice in Manhattan, and I did one at a private school in Manhattan. Nice. So it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty intense. You, I would love for you and my OT to hang out with each other because she used to work in the public schools in, I believe, Manhattan or that, that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So y'all would probably have similar things to talk about. Yeah, which it are was, things it, I don't understand from Ohio. It's it seems like it was <laughs> ten years ago already, which is crazy. But uh, how, how yeah, that you? was uh, this was this was 2014, 2015. It's almost there, man. So yeah, man, that's completely insane. SS Pod shout out, SS Pod due process. Hit us up, speechsciencepodcast.com or get us on the Discord, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. All right, so let's dive in. Our first topic, this is coming from an article from, if I can click on it correctly, if my mouse will let me, it is the American Academy of Medical, what does the C stand for? Amer Medical Colleges. And it is an article by uh, Dharam Kushik, medical doctor, talking about medical burnout. There was a recent article, I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, but it looked like, oh, what did they say? 1,327 frontline healthcare workers are reaching burnout related to COVID-19, and they say it is reaching epidemic proportions. Not surprised in the slightest. <laughs> burnout. You know, and, this, and this article focused just on you know healthcare workers mm -hmm. and a lot of doctors, Correct. Um, but it definitely applies to SLPs, particularly medical SLPs, and particularly in the last year. So they say multiple survey data shows that healthcare workers responsible for providing direct care for COVID-19 patients. And we know SLPs are on the front lines with mm -hmm. long haulers now. We've got uh, swallowing, following COVID as well, but are more likely to have, uh, the, the care, healthcare workers are more likely to have depression, anxiety, and mental distress. And they may be related uh, to psychological distress from witnessing COVID-19 death, extra long work hours, and the work-life imbalance. You know, on this article made me think of this idea that um, I'm going to talk medical school, but mm -hmm. I think it can apply to graduate school for medical professionals like SLPs. Um, there's even in the article they talk about it's ingrained in medicine for them. You keep doing what you're doing. Don't complain because you're not resilient. You can't handle it otherwise. Yep. And that leads to burnout which we know and doctors know this and doctors tell their patients make sure you get enough sleep make sure you are eating a good diet make sure you're exercising um, yet they're facing crazy long shifts especially mm -hmm. in residencies and then you throw in the ppe and the just <laughs> all of the last year i don't need to list that off for all of us um the survey and, found that 26% of healthcare workers are angry and 29% have considered leaving the field because of this. I, it does not surprise me though. 
And I think that it absolutely applies to SLPs and especially in a medical setting. But we talk about schools a lot. We haven't talked about the medical setting SLP burnout so much. Here, I think we've talked a lot about the caseload for speech schools, therapists right. in, in schools. And mm-hmm. um, and I would say, too, I, I know I've touched on in, in private practice because they're often booking 30 minute, 40 minute sessions back to back to back to back to back all day. Um, I just, I don't know how to, what do you guys think? Like, how in the world do we change this mindset that, you know, it was hard for me when I take, take a resident, right? A doctor. They're like, well, I went through residency and I got through it. Like I toughed it out. I was fine. And, but we all have this mindset of like, well, I suffered through it. So let's not make it better for <laughs> Well, we did that with, with SLP stuff though. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, I mean, you know, I got through it. They'll, they'll survive instead of how do we change it to make them mentally and physically more healthy and better able to learn and to be better, better doctors and better SLPs. I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm no, well, I'm trying more, to more, more funding would help. Yeah, that's true. I think that'd be helpful if people were compensated appropriately. I think that's a decent start. Mike, did you guys have any mental health, like self-help classes at wherever you went to grad school? No. And I don't think we did either, did we, at OU? Not even close. I want to say Practicum talked a little bit about self-help, but not a whole lot. No. Um, No way. This study says that national institutional and departmental leadership should not put the burden squarely on the staff to do quote meditation apps, practice mindfulness, or get 10% off of gym memberships or go count your steps for increased wellness. I love that, that they, that they should be doing more than just asking the staff to go do that. Have you guys ever were, I worked at a, uh, I was a PRN at a nursing home and they gave it to us like it was some great thing where they're like, we worked out a deal with Staples and we have gotten you guys all 10% coupons. And we're like, okay, <laughs> so glad to work here. So Thank I you. can provide my own materials. For- you, should I go buy some more pens to lose in patient rooms with this 10% off? So the article also talks about... Um, Five practical changes. So uh, Dr. Kashik says, here's the five implements that are the changes that we should implement uh, ASAP. And also I want to give a shout out here to Angie Merced, the SLP burnout coach. She is awesome. And she has changed my life um, just by following her posts. And I am not, uh, she has a service for SLP burnouts, but she has changed the way I look at my work-life balance. But here's what Dr. Kashik says to do. He says, number one, uh, the changes that need to be implemented rapidly is recognizing burnout as the first step towards finding the solution. We need peer-to-peer coaching sessions during which faculty, residents, and trainees have an opportunity to voice their feelings and get advice from peers and mental health experts on coping with burnout and promoting wellness. Number two, a mental health resource page on each department's website with a list of outreach programs and contact information for anonymous psychological health support support would be the next step. Um, Number three would be teaching our supervisors to supervise with empathy and fostering a genuine dialogue. 
So there you go, Michelle, talking about that. Mm-hmm. that Supervising connection. with empathy is the one that stood out to me <laughs> when I was reading this. Number four, a culture change uh, for yep. leadership to implement a comprehensive action plan to promote wellness and prevent burnout. And number five, provide wellness committees from different departments and include physicians and advanced practice providers. And I would throw in all departments into a wellness committee. Uh, Oh, and each department could potentially have one wellness champion who could discuss issues specific to that department. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Interesting. Could that work at places you've worked? I know, Mike, you're in the private practice realm now. Are you close to burnout or are you able to kind of pump the brakes as needed to avoid that work-life imbalance? Uh, there's times, you know, it, it, it's, it's really, uh, I, I would never compare it to the schools where you're, you know, under the, you know, following IEPs and supervisors and things like that. Uh, and it's more structured, but there are definitely times. And, you know, the big thing with private practice is, you're working, you know, you're the, the heavy times are in the late afternoon evenings. Uh, so, you, you know, uh, before COVID happened, you know, Monday through Friday, I wasn't walking through the door till around, you know, eight, nine o'clock mm-hmm. every day. And that was really, really tough. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of burnout, but you definitely feel it. Michelle, were you close to burnout? Um, I, in, Yes. <laughs> I'll just say yes. Yeah. Uh, I almost quit. That was the year I, that I, I had left, the... Yeah, I left the job. Yeah. Yeah. That year that I had the 90 plus of direct and then the lots of adult patients, I almost quit SLPing completely. What it takes. Uh, and honestly, it took me interviewing. And that's why I said Angie Merced for the shout out. I had to interview Angie for the show. And then I was like, oh my gosh. I'm burning out. That is what's mm-hmm. happening to me. I'm not a bad SLP. Uh, it's what is it called? Empathetic burnout, where you give so much to everybody else that you don't have anything left for yourself. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. So. And I, I, you guys remember the term from psychology, the learned helplessness. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I feel like that to me is where I felt like I was at burnout is when I felt like no matter how much effort I put into this, I can't, I don't have enough time. I have too many patients. I have, I cannot do it to the level that would be appropriate for these patients. Um, and thus, and if I don't put as much time in it, I'm still, so I'm failing if I try really hard and I'm failing if I don't try as hard. So what's the point of trying is what you start to feel like. I, I'm also wondering, as we're talking about this, do, is this something that school districts need to look out as well? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Like a wellness committee for burnout. Yep. Yes. And it's not and it's not a gym membership or telling people to get a meditation app. Like I mean those things can help. I, I went get it. To, I went but to an ASHA you, training. You, you told us this uh, one, but please go ahead. <laughs> just it was the dumbest training I have ever been to and I hated it so much and I'm sure the lady that ran it was super nice. But I just remember it was in Denver and it was like, how to combat burnout. And I was like, this is great. I should know how to do this. And it was like, every day, put on nice music and close your eyes for 10 minutes. And I'm like, 
I don't have 10 minutes to sit quietly mm-hmm. and play classical jazz. Mm-hmm. I'm using that 10 minutes to craft a well-rounded email to my supervisor asking her to give me a day off. But whatever. Spot on. The article continues. It says 3,600 U.S. healthcare workers died uh, during the pandemic, and healthcare workers are an indispensable and resilient part of the nation's workforce. Um, and understanding medical burnout and having strategies at the organizational level will help provide or will help prevent future catastrophes. So, kind of important, guys. I really think we need to do that. Um, we want to hear from you, though. Tell us what you think. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on the phone call, 614 681 one seven nine eight all right switching gears just a little bit but still talking about burnout in indiana a recent study came out and they said they are 16 percent or they are their numbers have dropped 16 percent on evaluations uh compared from the 2018-19 school year to the 2019-2020 school year um I read this and say that means the numbers are going to jump by 16% in the following school year. Am I wrong to interpret it this way? I, I'm curious if they'll jump, you know, if it that will much? be about the same, if it will be maybe more because there will be people who put it off because they didn't want to have someone evaluate their kid in their house mm-hmm. or have to take their kid to a medical facility. I think there's a lot of factors in this that you'd have to weed out to really know what caused that change. And that, that was mentioned in the article too, of we didn't get the referrals. And I think it's because um, the, the woman's statement was that she feels it's because um, people were afraid to, to follow through on a referral or to request one because of COVID. I think you're going to see that number jump for the 2020-2021 school year that we just had. And then as everyone kind of goes back to in person, I think our numbers are going to skyrocket. Probably. In the schools. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid by that, to be honest. Yeah. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to normal real fast. And I think we have to also take into the fact that now you've got a year of kids that needed SLP service or IEP services that didn't receive it. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that we need to give them double time, Mm -hmm. but that kid that was a first grader working on, I was going to say R, but first grader, you can tell I don't work with first graders very often. First graders working on TH for 30 minutes a week is now going to be a second grader. So now you got to double time that to get it caught back up so that they maybe can discharge from our caseload a little bit sooner yeah yeah because it's it's almost like that tiered approach of Mm -hmm. you know what are their needs if we catch it at early intervention or we catch it you know in a classroom when an slp is meeting students or and that's not happening all the time and hasn't in the last year so i think some of the incidental referrals that might have come up also didn't happen and then all of the stuff that the kids missed for a year out of school, plus not being recognized for service. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't, this is scary. I, I just say this is scary in kind of the, the alarmist way. 
to be honest. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it does sound a little alarmist, but I mean, we're just looking at Indiana because other states haven't released these numbers yet. But uh, from 2016 through 2019, it looks like they stay pretty even between 33,200 and 33,900. But then when you see a, a drop of 4,000 students and then whatever it's going to be this past school year, those 4,000 students are going to need time made up. I think, right? Absolutely. Michelle, you kind of give me a look. I don't know. I you're you're the one in the school, so I I think you're more up on what the requirements are for meeting that. But that's been the ongoing discussion for us in the last year: is what um, what IEP minutes are not being met, and will the SLPs have to meet that in the next year? I don't know. I mean, or is I, it? Do you rewrite the IEP and go from there? I think. I think part of this you have to look at. I, I see a positive coming out of all of our kids having less minutes, to be honest, mm -hmm. is that if the kids are still making ground, we need to look at it as professionals and say, okay, were we doing poor therapy? Was the amount of time that we were doing therapy not helpful? Or are we going to do more therapy to, to increase what we missed? So what I mean by that, is that if you've got a kid that let's say you're working on Arctic because Arctic is kind of easy to conceptualize. And we say that we're going to see a kid for 30 minutes a week and they're online and they come in every other week and they work with us, but we're still tracking the same amount of growth over time that we saw every other week that we were mm -hmm. seeing previously with every week. Maybe that kid, we don't need to see 30 minutes every week. Maybe we can see them every other week to check in with them. Mm -hmm. conversely yeah. if we're working with a kid on arctic and we're seeing them every week 30 minutes a week but they're at home and now we're seeing very little carryover mm -hmm. maybe they need to see us 90 minutes a week yeah and this kind of goes with what you were saying in previous episodes mike where you talk about you know you kind of bring that private practice i don't want to call it attitude but the private practice view of therapy Mm -hmm. into the school district where you 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 have that ability or that option i guess to to educate your team or your crew right yeah uh so th there's a lot of uh private schools i work at and a lot of public schools i train and collaborate with and things like that and sort of just you know finding ways to sort of give a little bit more autonomy to the slp uh you know these school like we, we get so tied down to these ieps and, you know, these kids are really changing month to month, week to week, day to day. And, and sometimes we need to be a little bit more fluid and not so tied down to data and goals and IEPs. And the more, uh, the more autonomy and power an SLP can have within the schools, I think that's going to be for the betterment of our students as well. Just at the end of the day, though, more numbers, more numbers, more burnout. There you go. That's exactly what, what it is. What is your plan for the next school year, Matt? Like what would be, I know you talked about obviously looking at each kid individually, but mm -hmm. what are, what are you going to do when more and more referrals come in that we're pushed back because of this? So first I have to say, and this is not because I currently work there. I moved to a really good school district to work in. Mm -hmm. One who took the workload calculator 
developed by multiple people in our state and modified it to match our district's needs. And it wasn't just the SLPs who did this. It was the special ed director who bought into it and gives autonomy to the SLPs. It is almost an honest SLP working dream uh, in the current position or the current position I'm at with the current district. I hope that every SLP can say that. About, <laughs> about but their it, job, so. it also took thing. me eight years of working in places that I could never recommend to somebody. Like mm -hmm. they had great people and wonderful teachers and wonderful other SLPs and wonderful aides, but yep. overall administration makes things difficult sometimes or board of education makes things difficult. So I'm lucky to be in a district that I'm in where I don't have to worry about that. But my plan for next year, and I hate to say it like this because I have the luxury of doing it, is kind of waiting and see what happens. And mm -hmm. we have already, I believe, as a district, looked to get extra help because we know we're going to need the help next year. Yeah. So my game plan- I'm glad plan, they're looking ahead though. Mm -hmm. Like, not, I don't think every district is doing that they for do positions not. like speech pathology. Um, and the other thing that my district does, or at least my building does, is that we have the IEP and the ETR dates pretty much planned out already for the entire school year. So I could log in and I can get a listing of every IEP and ETR date. So then I can kind of build that into my schedule mm -hmm. and I can look ahead and go, okay, January looks to be a nightmare. So I better start doing stuff in November to prepare or I can ask for help in December or whatnot. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm lucky. <laughs> and that's why I don't like to talk too much about that <laughs> because I know if I was in my previous school district, it would be, uh, do I quit and find another district? Do I take the year off and do home care mm. to avoid the burnout conversation? So I don't know. Not easy. Mike, do you have like, do you know if you're going to have bigger numbers next year or no? That's a great question. Uh, it, all, it really all depends. You know, there's some, there's so many different, you know, uh, areas where I get pulled into, whether it's one-on-one -on -one therapy or trainings or, you know, IEPs, meetings, advocacy, all that stuff. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to find, to find the time to kind of work on that self-care. We want to hear from you. What are you what are you looking at for next year if you work in the school district? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're checking in with the informed SLP. We have our ASHA look and we are sending this baby home. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. 
This is a review of the article, Physiology of Dysphagia in Those with Unilateral Vocal Fold Immobility, published in Dysphagia. And this review, this article is open access. In the outpatient setting, patients with unilateral vocal fold immobility, or UVFI, don't typically have dysphagia. The aspiration rate may be as low as 3%. One might expect, like several researchers have, that the reason some people with UVFI aspirate is because of impaired laryngeal adduction. Well, it turns out we've been looking at the wrong structure. An analysis of swallowing physiology shows a different story. This study by Stevens et al. analyzed MVSS from outpatients with dysphagia symptoms and a diagnosis of UVFI. The most common abnormal swallowing finding was delayed airway closure, which frequently occurred in both aspirators and non-aspirators, and was not associated with aspiration events. But back to the aspirators. Of the total sample, 23% aspirated. Those patients had reduced pharyngeal constriction, and the majority of people aspirated after laryngeal vestibular closure, meaning they aspirated on pharyngeal residue. That's a little odd, don't you think? These patients have vocal fold immobility, and they aspirated because of reduced pharyngeal contraction. Hmm. The authors believe that there must have been nerve damage leading to the inferior pharyngeal constrictor and upper esophageal sphincter, which caused reduced pharyngeal squeeze during the swallow. This idea is supported by the fact that those most likely to aspirate had undergone surgical procedures with recurrent laryngeal nerve damage or had a skull-based tumor. Another interesting finding was that 57% of the aspirators silently aspirated further supporting the idea that nerve damage is a driving factor impacting their swallow safety. Check out the paper if you want a nerdier, more technical explanation. Keep in mind that because this study only looked at patients who had gotten an MBSS, this research likely doesn't represent mild and moderate cases of dysphagia in patients with UVFI. Regardless, you want to keep an eye on pharyngeal squeeze in these patients. It might be the unanticipated cause of silent aspiration. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 144. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, by Michelle Wintering. Hi again, Matt. And Mike McLeod, who muted his mic. Ah, he might be running to go take care of baby Mike. Oh, man, I am so, so talking about parenting. Uh Uh-huh. I had to teach my son what it means. Yeah, my son just walked in here. I saw that. It was so cute. Uh, I had to teach my son what the term I hate you means. Oh. Because he got so mad at us. Because we asked him to eat a cheese coney on a hamburger bun instead of a hot dog bun because we had fresh hamburger buns. 
man and he started to cry and long story short he was like i hate you and we're like oh you are now grounded and then we had to go and uh like after the grounding brought him down and we're like buddy do you know what i hate you means he's like i means i'm really mad and we're like oh no oh i hate you means that you wish we didn't exist and he was like oh, and he starts to cry more and i was like do you really hope that we're not around and you don't live with us and he's like no and we're like okay you're done with video games for a long time now uh is that what grounding is for you yeah so grounding well he went to his room the rest of the for like the next hour but uh yeah he is uh done with video games for the foreseeable future uh, okay is that where he got it from i think so okay i think so but yeah. he says he got it from his four-year-old brother so. <laughs> <laughs> nice that's great uh so yeah i don't know mike as you walked in i said uh my son accidentally learned what this phrase i hate you means as he told that to my wife and i for being mad about or he was mad about a hot dog bun versus a hamburger bun mm. mm-hmm. so you guys okay. wait till your kids get to the age of eight and they say stuff and you have to not emotionally react got a long way to go (laughs) because you don't know what the reaction is oh and positive evelyn said dada for the first time today or the other day so babbled it yeah nope (laughs) uh i put it on my facebook the slp version of me says it was just a nice reduplicated babbling but But the parent in me but the parent heard dada and i have now it's told dead. my wife multiple times because then when she sees me, she's does da, and I'm like, that's right. I am first word da da. Who is that? That was that. Uh, it who did um, is that Chomsky that believes the no, who was the reinforcement uh for language development? The reinforcement for language development. Chomsky versus. What do you mean reinforcement? Oh, B.F. Skinner. B.F. Skinner language development. Mm. Do you guys remember the Chomsky versus Skinner? Well, Skinner is like operant conditioning. Right, yeah. Like she says, psych stuff, right? She says, dada. And I go, that's me, dada. And then she associates dada with me. So I'm going B.F. Skinner right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I mean, that's, yeah. Okay, I didn't know what you meant by the language development side of it. Oh, yeah, 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 but... yeah, yeah. Chomsky says that language is like innate and that we learn it because we're around it. Skinner says that we say something and someone reinforces it, so we do it. So Skinner is operant, yeah, like yeah. Mm-hmm. conditioning. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like on the worst side of it, yes. On a positive, when she says dad, dad, and well, I get from excited. From a psych side, that's what yeah. B.F. Skinner was a big psychi- psychologist. I, I can deep dive into that so much yeah. and I forget where we're supposed to be at because <laughs> my brain hurts. Yeah. All right. Our Asha spotlight. Normally we look at something Asha's doing well or something Asha do is poorly. Uh, and something that they've got that I do want to give them a little bit of credit for. And I do like this talking about our new CFYs entering the field. Don't forget that when you join your Asha gift, Asha gives you a gift. Did you know that, Michelle? I didn't know that. They charge you a lot more money, but your ASHA membership is for 20 months. What? Yeah. Uh, ASHA gives them a 20-month subscription, so it's almost a two-year ASHA sees, which is cool. 
from it's like from May 1st to August 31st. Oh, as a CF, right? Yeah, as your CF. Oh, but I it's do remember also that. Like, okay. It's I like <laughs> 300 something dollars, but it is kind of nice not to have to worry about it or your uh, CEUs for the first two or three years, I believe. Yeah, I, I think that's good though, because then it resets mm-hmm. everyone on the same deadline versus exactly whenever you submitted your paperwork at that time. <laughs> Now, do you guys buy, if you, have you had, you've had students, right? CFs? I haven't had a yes, CF. Yes, no. I have, yeah. Do you buy your CF a gift? Usually. Okay. Yeah. What did you buy? I think it was just like dinner, like went out to eat. And I don't think it was an, I don't think it was like an actual gift gift. Okay. And Michelle, you've never had it? Not a CF, nope. I had a, ex- have you ever had an extern? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you get your extern a gift? Yeah, but it's like going to lunch. It's uh, like what Mike said. Mm-hmm. I bought my extern yeah. wine. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. That works. No bourbon? No, she was a wine drinker. That was the last one. So my okay. wife and I picked out a wine that we like and gave it to her. That's perfect. She was the last one because she was a wine drinker? <laughs> she was the last one. They were like, Most wine. recent one, right? Um, no, I, I then after that, I moved to my current school district, and they won't let me take a, an extern until I'm there for three years. Wow. They want to make sure that I'm not burning myself out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. good. Man, everyone should come work here. <laughs> All right. Hey, so let's end the episode in a positive way because I asked you guys what was your worst working condition? What is something you are going to do for self care in the next week and a half? And I know of the three of us, Michelle, you have the most stressful next week and a half. So what are you going to do for self-care to avoid burnout? Take walks. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Anywhere in particular or what? Just walks, move my body, be outside. Okay. I respect that. Mike, what are you doing? Uh, so in the upcoming weeks, we have a lot of like uh, community events planned with our students. So we're going to be doing like an escape the room. We're going to meet at like a national park. Ooh, that's so we're awesome. going gonna to be doing some fun things out and about. Get 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 out of the clinic. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am burning myself out two days a week so I can have five days off during the week. Mm. That's awesome. And I started it by taking my kids. This is what we did for three days in a row. We went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And then we had a fishing trip. And then we went bowling. So each day we're doing something a little bit family orientated. So I'm, I'm implementing I want to, I want to the go five to days. Family hot summer camp. <laughs> That'd be sick. The uh, hot family summer camp. Would you like to know what tomorrow's hot family summer camp day plans are? What is it? We're going to Evelyn's uh, class with her speech and language pathologist. Um, and then we're going to go to the library to get books. And then we're going to go play tennis. I think that sounds great. <laughs> like, you're right. It is the hot family uh, summer plan, summer camp. Yeah, summer camp. Man, I should write a book about this or something. Yeah. You should. You could just make a plan and sell it online. <laughs> Here's what you should do with your kids. Love them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just plan out summer camp activities. I like it. Yeah, maybe I. Maybe that's how I'll fund all these other stuff. And so far, uh, nothing has cost any money. So... That's that's even better. I need to throw this out there for anyone looking for things to do with your kids. Kidsbowlfree.com. Oh, okay. You get two free games of bowling every day all summer. 
Wow, kidsbowlfree.com. And it's, uh -huh. is it certain lanes that sign up for it? Yep, all across the country. So you put in your zip code and they'll give you the lane that's close by. I signed up for the adult membership, which was 35 bucks, but I can put four adults on there and each adult gets two free games each day. Wow. There's a lot of okay. um, neat discounts and things over the summer um, for museums. You just you got to Google it. and. Oh, we also have family game night now in the summertime. So hot family camp is really kicking into overdrive over here. Yeah, Guys, I I'm told you, it. I want to sign up for this. <laughs> Can I drop my son off for hot family totally summer totally drop your son off. Mike, are you going to drop your daughter off? Uh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right, y'all. Let's send this baby home. Our intro music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under uh, an attribution share-alike license. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find his music at soundcloud.com slash Music. The informed SLP music was at the count by Broke for free, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. And our closing music was the Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Don't forget to like and share and share it with us uh, or rate and review and share it with us. So that way you can be entered into the Target and Speech Science swag. Join the Discord help us on youtube to get the customizable link we are 39 subscribers short we're on instagram twitter what else am i missing guys uh the youtube right you yep i said youtube yeah. we want to make that a custom url so that's mm -hmm. easy oh yeah and youtube is where we're putting all of our closed captioning and i am working with a service to see if we can get transcriptions for all of our future episodes Nice. So we're a little bit more inclusive, but we need a customized link to do it for some reason. I don't know why. Technology. So we need well, your help. Like Be Willis. and subscribe. Like and subscribe at your favorite place. We're on everywhere that you find us. Ah, in the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The mighty oak looks strong, but will break and crack in the storm. The willow will bend and return to form. For the willows, Michelle and Michael, I'm Matt. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at Speech Science PC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.